Thank you, Pastor Tolman and Laura Lee. Let's take our Bibles this morning and go to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. Gospel of John, chapter 8. What a wonderful song before the message this morning. Uh, no matter where you may be, where you're at in life, uh, if you're a child of God, um, He is your Father, and uh, he, he cares for you. He encourages and strengthens you and comforts you. He's providing for you, and He will provide for you everything that you need. And uh, one of the great blessings of being a Christian is having God as our Father. And uh, so, what a wonderful song. Thank you for that ministry to us this morning. It's been about a month since we've been in our study of John, so I won't ask any questions this morning as to what you remember from where we left off, uh, because I don't want to be discouraged. But truly, as I was studying this week uh, for today, uh, I had to go back and remind myself of where we've been, okay? So uh, you're not alone. If you don't remember anything, don't feel too guilty, or I shouldn't say if you don't remember anything. I hope you remember something, but if you don't remember exactly everything, don't feel bad about that. So it's, it's only been about a month since we've been here uh, studying this particular passage. So let's just remind ourselves a little bit where we're at in this incredible eighth chapter of John. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but look back with me, if you would, to verse number one. And in verses one through 11, we saw um, the Lord Jesus Christ forgiving the sin and um, the sinner of this particular woman taken in adultery. Um, and we, we were reminded of that, the fact that Jesus is a friend of sinners. And wasn't that a wonderful truth? Um, it was to me to be reminded of that, that Jesus, though God in human flesh, holy and righteous, uh, is a friend to sinners. Look at verse number 1 of John chapter 8. It says, Jesus went into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came in unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees, remember those are very religious Jewish men, they brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And I'll remind you that they didn't bring the man. They brought the woman. And, uh, and of course, if they, had, if they had actually caught her in the act of adultery, there would have been a man involved. Um, but they don't bring him, and I think it was a trap, actually, I think they were trying to ensnare her and then ensnare Jesus. And when they had set her in the midst, so they dragged this woman into Jesus with all the other people around Jesus. Talk about the shame that she would have felt. Verse 4, it says, They say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now, G now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him trying to trap him, that they might have to accuse him. So they didn't care about this woman. They didn't care about the law. They were just trying to trip Jesus up so that they could turn the people against him. Verse 6, the middle part says, But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. And so when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, at this point, they're just standing there, digesting what he just said to them. Okay, whoever of you in this room has not 
committed sin of some kind, why don't you pick up the stone and why don't you throw the stone at her first? Okay, they're, they're just kind of standing there. Um, verse 9. And when they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And we see here, uh, reality was she was guilty. And reality was she did, under that law, deserve to die. But Jesus, as he looked at her and forgave her of her sin, could do so justly because he knew he was actually going to take her sin upon his body and die on the cross for her sin. And so he was just and he was righteous to forgive her. And all of us in this room who have received Jesus Christ as our personal Savior have received the forgiveness of our sins, past, present, and future. Fact of life is, based upon the Bible, all of mankind deserves to die and to suffer eternal punishment in hell. That's what we deserve. But we gather here today in large part primarily because Jesus Christ died in our place and he rose again, and we're forgiven of our sins, past, present, and future. And so we are thankful that Jesus is a friend of sinners. In verse number 12, he goes on, and he makes this wonderful declaration. There were many of them made in chapter 8. In verse 12, he says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. But of course, as we studied our way through the John chapter 8, this 8th chapter, uh, we also see not only were there encouraging words and that Jesus is a friend of sinners, we also saw that Jesus condemned those who were self-righteous, those who were religious um, but were yet dead in their sins. They had never been forgiven of their sins. Look down to verse 21, and I'll read down through verse 24. Still in chapter 8, Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Is he going to commit suicide? Because he saith, Whither I go, ye cannot come. And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above, ye are of this world, and I am not of this world. Verse 24, I said therefore unto you, that ye shall die in your sins, If ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Friend, there is nothing worse than that. There is nothing worse than that. All people sin. But there are those who have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ and are trusting him and have therefore been forgiven of their sin. Jesus paid the price. He suffered the death that we deserve. But there are other people who also have sinned, no different than you and me having sinned. They too have sinned, but they have rejected Jesus Christ. They have rejected, therefore, their salvation, which is Jesus Christ, and they are still dead in their sins. And there is nothing worse than a person who dies and goes into eternity only to suffer for eternity 
for their sin. And Jesus is warning these religious, self-righteous men, these men who were more than willing to condemn, and they would have gladly, I think, stoned that woman and put her to death for her sin, but they weren't willing to see their own sin. Um, And Jesus warns them, you're going to die in your sin. Don't continue down this path. Don't continue down the path of self-righteousness. But as we continued in our study, we saw that not everybody rejected or was so hostile to Jesus. In verse number 30 of John chapter 8, it says, And as he spake these words, many believed on him. Now, when we read that, we might think, well, wow, that's wonderful. Not everybody rejected Jesus. Many did. Not everyone did. There were many here. It says in verse 30, who believed on him. And that brings us to our text for this morning. And I want to read verses 31 and 32, and then we're going to pray. We're going to look at verses 31 and 32 in its context. Uh, These are familiar verses, but I don't know how many of us have actually considered these truths in these two verses in their context. And it really is eye-opening, and it has been to me this week. Look at verse 31, would you? Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, So the Jews who believed on him in verse 30. Jesus says this, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Verse 32, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. This morning I want to consider what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And how you can know if you are a child of God or not. How is it that we're supposed to discern whether or not we are one of God's children? How is it we're supposed to know if we are a true believer in Jesus? Or if we just have gotten caught up in some emotion? Or if we've just liked Jesus' teaching on several fronts, but... We're actually denying him on other areas of our, in other areas of our lives. How is it that we're supposed to know? And Jesus specifically speaks to those people who had just believed upon him. They were believing. They liked him. Some of these people liked him. They liked what he was saying. And Jesus says to those Jews who believed, If ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples. Then ye are my followers indeed. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, help us, I pray this morning. I ask that your Holy Spirit would work in the heart of every single person in this room. And Lord, there are some of us in this room and our hearts, we, are, we, are, we love you. We are seeking to follow you in service with all of our lives. Others of us are holding back. Some of us are giving in to the flesh. Lord, there may be some in this room who really can't stand you and maybe even hate you. Father, regardless, I pray that you would work by your Holy Spirit and by your word through the words of yourself, your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would find true disciples of your Son in this room. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now look again at verse number 31, and I want you to answer the question. I've told you the answer already, but I want you to answer the question. It's very important. Uh, Who is Jesus speaking to in verses 31 and 32? Look again at verse 31. Then said Jesus, 
specifically speaking to a group, to those Jews which believed on him. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. So who is Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to Jewish people who were believing on him. He wasn't necessarily in this particular, these particular verses speaking to the religious Jewish leaders who were hating him and were so hostile to him. He was speaking to people who, in large part, in their hearts, were receiving some of the things that he was saying. But now he's going to help them and discern uh, the validity of their belief. Uh, of what nature their belief was. How deep it really went. Was it just something casual and on the surface going along with the crowd, maybe? Or, um, or was it sincere? What is, was it genuine? You know, we read these two verses, verses 31 and 32, and we hear uh, these verses, and we're encouraged by Jesus' positive statement of victory, right? Um, in verse 32, if ye continue um, in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I mean, those are positive words, and many of us have, have heard them. Many of us have the, these verses memorized. But by the end of the paragraph, these people are taking up stones to stone Jesus. Look down to verse 59 at the end of the paragraph. Then took they up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. What happened? What happened between verse 30, many believing upon him, and verse 59, them literally finding stones and, and, and in their hearts and an outward action of what was in their heart actually coming out to the point where they want to kill Jesus. They want to get rid of him forever because they cannot stand the words that he is saying to them. This hatred. Talk about a deep hatred in their hearts. I'm reminded of the people who had believed in Jesus back in John chapter 2. Do you remember? John chapter 2. Look back there with me for just a few minutes. John chapter 2. This is not the first time this had happened. In John chapter 2, in verse number 23. John 2 and verse 23. It says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. So they were believing, they were impressed by him, they were impressed by his teaching, specifically here they're impressed by his miracles, and who wouldn't have been impressed by his miracles, verse 24, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men, and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. It says here that there were some who were impressed with Jesus' miracles, and so they began to believe in him. They were impressed. They, they were following him. They were setting aside parts of their lives to follow Jesus and see what Jesus could do. And Jesus here does not commit himself to them because he knew what was in their hearts. 
They were casual followers. They were just going with the crowd. It was the popular thing to do. Let's go and see what Jesus is going to do again. Do you believe in Jesus? Well, of course we do. He's amazing. Did you know what he did last week? Did you know what he did yesterday? It's incredible. In, in, in John chapter 3, you have Nicodemus, a man of the Pharisees, coming, a ruler of the Jews, and he comes to Jesus by night. In verse number 2 of chapter 3, he says, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus answers Nicodemus and he says, Except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He's talking to a religious man, a man who was believing in Jesus. And ultimately we know from the word of God that there would come a point in Nicodemus' life where he would believe in Christ with all of himself to the salvation of his soul. But at this point, Nicodemus wasn't there. He's confused. You remember, Jesus says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, how can a full-grown man enter a second time into his mother's womb? He wasn't getting it. He wasn't there. He wasn't saved in John chapter 3 yet. Believing. Beginning to believe, but not born again. And that's why Jesus said, you, you must be born again. Nicodemus, you need salvation. Nicodemus was confused, and he left that night an unsaved man, later to fully believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Look at John chapter 6. You don't have to go there. You can go to John chapter 8, but I'll just reference John 6 for just a moment. But you remember in John 6 how some of Jesus' disciples, they're actually called disciples. They're following Jesus, and then he gives his message, his truth, and they say, these are hard sayings. In other words, we're not going any further. And they actually depart from Jesus, the Bible says in John 6, and follow him no more. And it's to such an extent, has such an effect on Jesus, that he looks at his disciples and says, are you going to leave me too? Are you going to abandon me too because of the things that I'm telling you, Jesus speaking, that are hard? How many of us like hard truth? How many of us like, I mean, we all, um, you know, if you're a, we all like being told, you know, you're handsome, you're good looking, you're beautiful. We all like that, you know. Um, wow, you know, you're aging really well. You look so young. You can't possibly be 50. You're like 33. Something like we like to be told these things, you know. Just tell me. I don't need to know if it's actual truth or not. Just tell me the things I want to hear. To some degree, I think we're all like that. Just we want to be complimented. We we want to be told we're doing well, even sometimes when we're not doing well. It's hard when we're when we're given a hard truth. But you know what? Sometimes truth is very hard. Sometimes truth is in absolute opposition to the way a person is living their life or what they're believing. Truth is truth. It's not subject to change. Truth is not determined based upon whether or not you and I believe it or not. Truth is absolute. It does not change. And Jesus has, is coming unto his own and he's giving them the truth and I'm reminded of 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 John chapter 1, where it says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. No, ultimately, 
these people weren't willing to follow Jesus and his teaching. And I had had to ask myself the question this week, Seth, are you willing to follow Jesus and his teaching? Not just years ago. Uh, Not just when, Seth, when you were in your teenage years, maybe in your 20s, when it was just Cindy and me. Not just when my children are young, but as my children go older. Not just so others can see, but in my private and personal life. The question came to me this week, Seth, are you willing to follow the teachings of Jesus? Are you willing to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? You know, Jesus, as he's being rejected, he's continuing his earthly ministry. And again, I remind you, he's in the last six months of his earthly ministry here in John chapter 8. He's in the last six months, he's going to be crucified. He's going to die. And he's, he's continuing his earthly ministry, and he's doing it with love, compassion, and dignity, and grace. But he's being increasingly rejected by the people. Rejection is a hard thing, especially by the people that you love. To be rejected by someone you don't care about is not that big of a deal. Oh, you disagree with me? Oh, uh, you know, you, you don't like the, what I'm doing, you don't like this, the way I'm living my life, but, but, but I don't care about you, so it really doesn't matter. But to be rejected by the people that you love, that you think about, that you care for, that you long to be with, that you love, that maybe you've sacrificed for. That has to be some of the greatest suffering that anyone can possibly endure on this earth. And Jesus is suffering. He's becoming more and more lonely. Now, I want to look at two truths this morning, and we'll be done. Verse 31, I notice that there's a mark of true discipleship. Now, many, many people in our day say that they're Christians. Many, many people in our day say that uh, they believe in Jesus, that they believe in God, especially at different points in a person's life. Many, many people say that they're saved if you put it to them in the right way. But there's a mark of true discipleship. Look at verse 31 again. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. You're my followers. You're my learners. You're receiving what I'm telling you. Whether or not you're a true believer in Jesus Christ is validated or verified, I should say, by what you're doing with what Jesus says. And that's what he tells them in verse number 31. Now, Jesus, was, he's warning these Jews who were, who were believing upon him. And I find that a little almost counterproductive. If Jesus was just concerned about what it looked like, what the movement looked like on the outside, if all he cared about was the, the masses and what it appeared, the appearance was, you know, like his brothers, you remember they said, you need to, you need to show yourself, you need to get back into the game here, you know, and they weren't saved at the time. You need to go someplace where there's a lot of people. You need to get things going again because your ministry's heading in the wrong direction. Jesus goes another way quietly to go do what his father had 
told him and commanded him, commissioned him to do. So if Jesus had only been concerned about the external or what his ministry looked like, he never would have said these words. He would have just said, oh, wow, look at all these people who believe. Check, 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 check. Okay, fill out this card and we'll hand it in. And guess how many people got saved? That's what he would have done. But you know what? Jesus is is truth. He's concerned about truth. He's, he's He's not at all after people who say they believe but don't genuinely believe. He's not after people. He's not, he's not wanting people to just say that they're saved and believe upon him only to find out someday they're not truly saved and end up in hell for all of eternity. Why? Because he loves us too much. Because he is truth. And so in order to, in order to prove whether they were really true believers of him or not, he's saying to them, you need to follow me, him. They needed to become disciples of Jesus. And Jesus is teaching here that there is clear evidence in the life of a person who truly believes in Jesus Christ. Now, by the way, God knows our hearts, but we only see the outward fruit, okay? So remember that. And Jesus is here not talking about sinless perfection either, okay? We know that. He's not saying, if you are truly a believer in me, you'll never sin again. I remember a man once telling me, uh, or asking me, he said, you know, do you really believe a person who, and he named a particular sin that the Bible calls sin, he said, do you really believe this, this individual um, who is committing this sin, do you really believe they're saved? And I said, well, by their action, I wouldn't know that they were saved, but I am not the discerner of their soul. But Jesus is. He is the judge of our souls. He is the one. He is the righteous judge. He is the one who holds the keys to hell, the Bible says, and is the giver of life. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what I'm saying here is a mental or verbal assent is not enough. And and I've been careful about this, and Cindy and I have been careful about this when it comes to our children. We have four children. William is seven, Ian is 12, and we have two daughters in the middle. And it was not our goal as parents just to get our children to pray a prayer. William was talking to me the other day about his salvation. And uh, he was talking about praying. And I listened to him. That's all I did. I never said a word. I just listened to my son. He's seven. And there was a part of me that was like, well, now, Will... Now, Will, uh, you, you need to really believe, Will. Did you really believe? But how would he know if he really believed or not? I want my children to be born again. And to the best of our knowledge, all four of them have made professions of faith. But I am not going to be the one who gives my children assurance of their salvation. I'm not going to tell them, Will, remember, you prayed a prayer when you were six or five, so you, you, you're, you're saved, Will. I'm not going to do that. No, the Lord will give him assurance of his salvation as he goes through life. And there will be some questions that are raised up in his mind along the way, and he will find, he will find only the answers that uh, fully satisfy or fully help him. He will only find those answers in the Word of God. 
and by the working of God in his life. So mental or verbal assent that Jesus is God or that Jesus is a good teacher or that Jesus is a powerful person is not enough. I think the great majority of all of us in this room would claim to be Christians, and I'm not standing here doubting anyone's salvation in this room. However, the Bible actually tells us to examine ourselves to see whether or not we are actually saved or not. And that was the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth. And he says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, Paul wrote this. He said, examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Then he says this, prove your own selves. Wow. So I'm not supposed to just say, I'm not, God's not wanting us to go through life doubting whether or not we're saved, okay? First John talks about that. So that's not the goal of this message in any way. I'm not looking for anybody to go away doubting. But we are to go through life testing ourselves to see whether or not we're truly born again or not. We ought to examine ourselves. We ought to prove ourselves to see whether or not we are actually a child of God, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, or we're just basing our salvation on, well, I went forward one time in a service. Or I prayed before. I prayed a prayer once. I asked God to save me, so done. No, no. People don't go to heaven just because they pray a prayer. People go to heaven, they don't go to heaven just because they're religious. Remember Nicodemus, he, a religious man, he comes to Jesus. We know you're a good teacher. We know that you're empowered by God. And, and Jesus says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, ye must be born again. In essence, Jesus was saying, you're a dead man, Nicodemus, spiritually. You're a dead man. You're a religious man, but you are a dead man separated from God, your father. You may be a Jew. You may be the lineage of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You are a religious man. You know the law. You know the Bible. Nicodemus knew the Bible, the Old Testament, better than anyone in this room, I would imagine. And Jesus says to him, ye must be born again. You need to be made alive spiritually. And that's only by the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Spirit of God. So prove yourself. You see, not everyone who claims to be a believer in Jesus is a Christian. In James chapter 2 and verse 19, James wrote this. He said, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. If you believe that there's only one God, hey, you're doing well. But the devils, James wrote, also believe and tremble. So just believing that there's one God is not enough for salvation. In Matthew 7, in verse 22, Jesus said this, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works? Jesus says this, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I think I've told you before about uh, a pastor's wife in Connecticut and they, he had been pastoring, her husband had been pastoring for over 20 years at the time. And she had been to Bible college. I think that's where they had met. They'd been pastoring, or he had been pastoring in Connecticut for over 20 years, I think 22 years. And there came a point where she understood, you know what? I'm a religious person. I have standards in my life. I'm trying to serve God. I'm trying to get to know God. 
but I have never been born again. You know what I say to that? Praise God. That's what I say to that. If 20 years from now, one of my children comes up to me uh, and says, Dad, you know what? I've found the Lord. I will say, praise God. Now, I'd like them to find the Lord a whole lot earlier than that. Are you following me, though? And Jesus is talking to these people who were believing. There was an element of faith. They were believing. They were impressed by him, at least at a surface level. They were receiving some of the things that he was saying. But he's about to expose them as actually unbelievers thoroughly. And we're going to see that from the context. So the word disciple in our text means a learner or a pupil, one who learns. Today I talked to someone and I, I want to learn more about a certain topic. And I said, hey, could we get together because I'd like you to teach me some things. Why? Because that person knows more about that than I do. And, and I, want, I want to know. I want to know what he knows. Uh, I can benefit from his knowledge. When I'm, when I'm, uh, William wants to play sports in general. He just, anything with a bouncing ball, he loves it. So much so that uh, my mother-in-law is here, uh, Grandma Schmelzer. Uh, my children know of her as Grammy in the Woods. This is her, so you want to check her out while she's here. But uh, anyway, so William said to her the other day, you know, might not be able to come out for Christmas this year, Grammy, because I'm going to be playing basketball. Okay, so that tells you a little bit about William's commitment already. We're going to have to worry about this because sports might be an idol, okay, for the child. But whatever the case, um, so I'm thinking about getting him in upward basketball or something like that. And William, he listens very well, and he receives instruction very well. And so I had taught him, you know, how the laces, laces should go on the ball or the, on the ball, and, you know, a guide hand and then the shooting hand and the elbow in line, you know, with the body, not sticking out or anything like that, but you've got to have it the right way. And so William, he follows instruction, you know, knees bent, and, and he's doing this. Well, we played a little pickup basketball one particular day with some friends, and uh, I'd pass William the ball, and he would he'd get the ball. He's only seven, and he's open now. There's the basket. He's open. He'd get the ball, and then he'd start to rotate the ball to the laces, and then about that time, you know, the other kid would come along and just whack, you know, swat it or take it away from him. And, and as the game wore on, you know, tears are starting to well up in his eyes, you know. And so I'm telling him, listen, this is all perfect when practicing. But when you're playing a game, there's no time to rotate the laces. You just go up with the ball, you know. But he responds very well to instruction. He wants to know how to play basketball, so he receives the teaching. Why? Because he values it. Uh, how many of you here care about... Uh, riding a motorcycle. How many of you want to know how to ride a motorcycle? Okay, right. So if we were to have, not many. So if we were to have a, we were to have a, a forum of how to ride the fundamentals of motorcycle riding, some of you'd be like, you know, this is, I got better things to do with my time, right? Because you don't care about that. How many of you want to uh, hunt deer? You're, you want to be a better deer hunter? All right, we got some of you here. You know, we could have Mr. Lunny do, give us some instruction for deer hunting. I'd attend that. I'd want to know about that. Or uh, how many of you want to uh, know about refereeing uh, high school or college athletics? Okay, one person. There we go, Tim. 
So that's it. That's, we had another. So that's two disciples you might have who would be willing to follow and learn from you. How many of you would like to learn how to kill ducks? Duck hunting. Okay, we got a few. All right, and, and Mr. May is a phenomenal duck hunter. He will deny that, but it's incredible what he can do with a call in those ducks. Okay, uh, and, you know, some of us would like to learn about that, but most of us wouldn't. Well, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am the truth, and I have the truth, and I am teaching the truth. Are you valuing the truth? You see, there are many things that these men could teach us that may be true about their certain topic, but we don't care about it. And that really is the distinguishing factor of someone who's truly born again and dwelt by Christ's Spirit, is that they care about the truth that Jesus teaches. Do we always obey what he says? Not always. But we care about it. It's important to us. It's valuable. It's relevant. Why? Because it's life-giving. It's life-giving. I think there are different reasons why people won't receive instruction uh, from the Lord Jesus Christ. Some think they already know. Beware of that. I've been saved now, I'm 40, I was saved when I was 5, I've been saved for 35 years of my life. And I can tell you, I still have much to learn from this book. There's so much of this book that I don't know as I ought to know. There's so, so much of this book that I do not live out as I ought to live it. There's, there's so much room in my life to grow. And so beware of the attitude of, well, I already know it. That's a very arrogant attitude really has no place in the life of a believer. Or maybe others might say, well, I know better than this. I know better than God's word. Or maybe others might think that what is being taught is unimportant to them or irrelevant for them. And if the teaching that was being offered was inapplicable to our lives, let's say like the rules of soccer or the finer details of hunting or motorcycle skills or crocheting or cross or scrapbooking, then I'd say, don't waste your time. But if it is the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, if it is the word of God, it is absolutely vital to our lives. In Matthew 4 and verse 4, Jesus answered and said this, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And about this time, every Sunday morning, your stomach is reminding you that you live by bread. It's important. You want some. You know, what time's pastor going to be done? Did my wife plan something? Uh, what are we going to eat? Are we going out? What am I going to get when I go out? Maybe your mind tends to wander a little bit, and I apologize for leading you down this path right now. But you know what? We live because in, without eating physical food, we die. Okay, We need to eat. We need physical food. But Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Just as important as physical food is to our physical well-being, so too is spiritual food, the words of Christ to our spiritual being. 
And I know we live in this life, and I know we live in this world, and I know we all know we're physical beings, but sometimes I think it fails our understanding that we are actually spiritual beings as well. In Psalm 119, and verse 9, it says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? How can a young man go from doing what is wrong to doing what is right? The answer is by taking heed to the word of God. In the same psalm, in verse 105, the Bible says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is breathed out by God, and it is all profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That's how we can live a life that is right. Why? That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. That we can grow up. And be what God wants us to be and do what God wants us to do. Eternity's coming. This life is a vapor that appears for a little time and vanisheth away. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. Tomorrow is not guaranteed to any one of us, but to a child of God, we will live forever with the Lord. And the thing is, we can live our lives in this life in such a way that please God, that lead to reward for all of eternity. But the way to that is by hearing and heeding and following, listening and learning the Word of God. Living it out. Loving it. Loving it. Some of you are bookworms. You love books. You just immerse yourself in books. You know, get comfy and get the books and just take it in. Some of us are not like that. I am an activity-driven person. I mean, I read manuals because I have to. Because I want it to work faster so I can enjoy it. Okay? I don't like the frustration of me trying to figure it out. So I read the manuals because it's a shortcut to success. But I don't enjoy reading manuals. I I guess I enjoy what reading can bring, but I'm not necessarily just a bookworm. I like being active. I like the smell of gunpowder. I like exhaust fumes. Yeah. Yeah. I like the here, the engine. I like, uh, I like playing ball. I love laughing at my friends when they can't play ball. I'm frustrated when I can't play ball. You know, I enjoy life in a physical way. But you know what? I need this book. And we don't just, we don't get this book. We don't receive Christ's truths. We don't receive the word of God by osmosis. You know, it just sits over there and I'm in the room with it and it kind of, it doesn't work that way. I actually have to put myself under it. I actually have to engage my brain and focus on the words and say no to other thoughts that make me want to go out and play or work. And I have to work at this. It takes some effort on my part. And maybe you're like me, and maybe you're not at all like me, and you're like, oh, Pastor Ferguson, I don't understand you at all. I just love to sit down and read through the whole Bible every day. But whether, whether you're like me in that way or you're not like that, every one of us needs the Word of God. We absolutely need the Word of God. Psalm 19 and verse 7, and I'll move along from this, says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. 
The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they, the words of God, than gold. Yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. You know, as I consider Jesus' admonition to these people who were believing upon him, and at first, at first glance, we look at verse 30 and say, Wow, amen, it's like a, an awakening. This is wonderful. Then Jesus gives them some instruction. He says, to those Jews which believed on him, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Really, the rest of the chapter, we find a discussion that takes place between Jesus and these Jews who are believing upon him. And i got to tell you, it's terrible. Because Jesus gives one truth, and another truth, and another truth. And with every truth he gives, they rebut him. They argue with him. They disagree with him. He says one thing, and they say, yeah, well, he says something else. That's truth, because Jesus speaks the truth, because he is the truth, and they disagree with that. And one after another, in fact, uh, look at verse, 30, uh, uh, verse 33. It says, uh, I'll read it in just a moment, but notice that they disagree with Jesus about what, he, what it meant to be free. In verse 33, they answered him, in what he said in verses 31 and 32, they answered him, and they say, we be Abraham's seed, and therefore... And we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus says to them in verses 31 and 32, Continue in my word, you'll be my disciples indeed. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they say, what do you mean free? We're already free. Do you see the attitude there? They disagree with him. He says, you can be free. And And their disagreement is, yeah, well, we're already free. Later on in the chapter, in verse 34, they disagree with Jesus about the source of their righteousness. Look at verse 34. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. That's true. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's seed. I know that you're physically related to Abraham, Jesus says to them, but ye seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. You hate me. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. Verse 39, they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. He's saying you can be free. You can be righteous. You can have the righteousness of God. And they're arguing with him uh, about righteousness and where it comes from. And they're saying, our righteousness comes from Abraham. We're Jews. Of course we're righteous. Are, Are you in agreement with the Lord Jesus Christ that your righteousness comes only through Jesus? Or do you find yourself as a distant follower of Jesus, and I use that being generous, you know, you come to church, you claim you believe in God, you, you believe in Jesus, that he existed, that he even died on the cross, and maybe even you would say he rose again. But 
you reject his words. You, you, you would say something like, you know, I, I believe I need Jesus, but I also believe I need me, too, for my salvation. I need to do. Because our righteousness is found only in him. It's not found in us. My righteousness is not found in who Seth Ferguson is and what I've done in my life and how I've pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. No, here's the fact about me as a man. I am a sinner. I deserve death and hell for all of eternity because of my sin. And God loved me in my sinful condition. He sent his son to die on the cross for me. He took all of my sins upon his body. And when I believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ at the age of five, there was a transaction that took place and God took the guilt and load of sin and shame off of me and it was applied to Jesus and God applied the righteousness of Jesus to me and he gave me his righteousness. I don't deserve that. And that is how every person is saved the same way. So they're disagreeing with Jesus about uh, why they're righteous. In verse 39, look there, they disagreed with Jesus concerning who their father was. Look at verse 39. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus saith unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, and he's talking about spiritually, ye would do the works of Abraham. What were the works of Abraham? We won't take the time to go there, but in Hebrews chapter 11, we know that faith, that's right. That was the work of Abraham. He believed God. He believed God. And Jesus is saying to these physical descendants of Abraham, if you were Abraham's children, not just related physically, but if you were spiritual followers of Abraham, you would believe me. And I could ask the question, why weren't they believing Jesus? And he tells us in verse number 40, but now ye seek to kill me, Jesus says, a man that hath told you the truth. You're seeking to kill me, and I'm telling you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Abraham didn't try to kill God or or those who told him the truth. Verse 41, ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, we be not born of fornication. And that's kind of a slap at Jesus as to who's your father anyway? Who is your father anyway? We be not born of fornication. We have one father even God. And so they, they claimed here to be God's children, but they didn't love Jesus. Look at verse 42. Look at how their rejection of Jesus turns into hatred. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me. And that's true for us today, by the way. If God's your father, then you love the Lord Jesus. For I proceeded forth, proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Verse 43. Why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father, the devil, Jesus tells these people. And now you know why they wanted to kill him. And the lust of your father ye will do. And what was his lust? He was a murderer from the beginning. He was full of hate from the beginning. A murderer. And abode not in the truth. Because there was no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is, the, is, is a liar and the father of it. And by the way, a murderer and a liar is the opposite of grace and truth. Someone who's full of grace and truth 
is the opposite of someone who's a murderer and a liar. Verse 45, and Jesus continues and he says, And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. He's telling them the truth. And they will not believe him. Verse 46, which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. He therefore, ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. In verse 48, they answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil. They say to him, and this is so low, you're, a, you're demon-possessed and you're a Samaritan. And what they were saying by that was, you're against us. Because you disagree with me, you're against me. There were times in my life growing up where I disagreed with my parents. But were they for me? Yes or no? Oh, they were for me. There have been times in my life where I've disagreed with my wife. But was she for me? Yeah. Sometimes the people who love us the most disagree with us. And this is so low. Basically what they're saying is, you know what? We like you. We like the miracles you do. We like the power that you wield. We think you're, we think you're a great teacher. But you know what? We wish you'd just agree with me. Agree with us. And we'll be fine with you. And you know what? Jesus couldn't do that because he was a truth teller. Because he was the truth. That's all he could tell them was the truth. He's telling them, You know, this is wonderful that you're believing on me, but if you're going to be a genuine believer, if you're going to be a disciple of me, you're going to have to continue in my word. In John 13 and verse 35, it says, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if ye have love one for another. In John 14 and verse 15, it says, If ye love me, keep my commandments. We'll continue. Look at verse 49. They disagreed that Jesus honored God the Father. Look at verse 49. Jesus answered... In verse 49, Jesus answered and says, I have not a devil, but I honor my Father, and ye do dishonor me. And I seek not mine own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Wow, what a wonderful, blessed truth that is. If you'll believe me, if you'll receive my word, you won't die spiritually. You'll have everlasting life. That is such a wonderful hope for me. It's what, such a wonderful blessing. When I say goodbye to people that I love, I don't like saying goodbye. I've actually wondered over the past week if there's something that needs to change in me. And I know the people that I say goodbye to who are born again, I will see them together, I will see them forever. I'll be together with them for all of eternity, and I long, and that is a blessed hope, and I, that, that is such a blessing and such an encouragement to me, but I, I, don't, I do not like saying goodbye to people. I guess I look forward to heaven more and more because there will be no more goodbyes there. And there will be a reunion, and we will enjoy one another, and we will praise and glorify God for all of eternity. There will be no more goodbyes. I hate saying goodbye. And some of you in this room... Many of you in this room have suffered that loss of saying goodbye to someone that you love in this life. The blessed hope of heaven, and Jesus is teaching these people here in this text, I'm trying to tell you the truth so you can have eternal life. What are you doing with it? 
What are you doing with the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ? You'll never see death. Verse 52, it says, Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Now we know you're a lunatic. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, they're dead too. And thou sayest, If a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets are dead? Who makest thou thyself? Who do you think you are, is what they're saying to him. And Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. For ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. (laughs) Now you know why they wanted to stone him by the end of the message. But I know him and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. In other words, you're you're related physically to your father Abraham, but you're not related spiritually. You're nothing like him. He believed God. But you're not believing God. Verse 57, Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Abraham was dead. He'd been dead a long time. Now, by the way, just one real quick note as we can bring the message to a conclusion. You notice how, what they said of, of Jesus. You're not even fifty yet. Now, Jesus was about thirty-two years of age when this took place. Um, I think, based upon this, there's a very good chance that Jesus had not aged what we would say well. I'm not saying if you're 45, you're aged. But what I'm saying is, he was about 32 years old, and they said, you're not even 50 yet. He, He had lived... He had endured a lot. The rejection of the people that he loved, that he had come to save, I think had taken a toll on him physically, even his his visage, how he looked. Hast thou seen Abraham? And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, I wish I had more time for this. Three times in this, this chapter, he has used the term, I am. He said, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. And here he says, before Abraham was, I am. In other words, before anything. Abraham was the founder of the nation of Israel, okay? God had told Abraham, I'll make of you a great nation. And he did. They they held all their stock in Abraham and their lineage and being a Jew. And and that was their righteousness, their self-righteousness in Jesus. This was absolutely blasphemous to these people. This offended them more deeply than anything Jesus had said because basically Jesus was saying, before anything existed of Israel, I, I existed. And, and he's standing there and they're saying, you're not even 50. Who do you think you are? They're totally offended with him. And verse 59 says, then took they up stones and cast at him, to cast at him But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. The mark of someone who is saved is that they continue in the words of Jesus Christ. And I want you to examine yourself this morning and ask yourself the question, am I continuing in his words? Do I value his words? Now look at verse 32 as we draw the message to a conclusion this morning. Look at verse 32 of chapter 8. The mark of discipleship 
is continuing in the words of Jesus Christ. The blessings of true discipleship are in verse 32. And he says it this way. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Someone who is truly born again, who is continuing in the words of God, will know what the truth is. And they will be freed by the truth. Are you in bondage this morning? I didn't say, do you occasionally sin? I'm asking, are you in bondage this morning? Do you know the truth? Can you discern the truth? Or are you continually misled? You know, these two concepts, knowing the truth and having freedom, I think are very powerful concepts, truth and freedom. And frankly, I think these two concepts, truth and freedom, are sought after a lot in our world today. Who doesn't want to know the truth? Who doesn't want to believe the truth and be free? I think they're popular. I think they're pursued realities. Nobody pursues ignorance, right? I want to be ignorant. No one pursues that. No one pursues bondage. I've never met anybody before who sets out in this life to be foolish. That's the biblical term. Stupid would be our modern-day equivalent. No one sets out to live in bondage. I believe, I believe people are looking for the truth. I believe people are looking for freedom. Unfortunately, though, I think people are looking in all the wrong places. People want the truth, and they want what frees them from their confusion. They want to be freed from their struggle and their troubles and their dissatisfactions and their unfulfilled dreams and their ambitions. People want to know the truth about life. People want to know the truth about eternity. But again, I submit to you, people are looking for the truth in all the wrong places, the places that appeal to their pride, the places that appeal to their unbelief. People search out the classrooms for truth and the universities and colleges and libraries and blogs and videos and chat rooms and the Internet. And people look within themselves for the truth, but they're looking in all the wrong places. Some people even claim they found the truth in these places, and others give up on the search altogether. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7 says this, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. But deep, deep down in the souls of mankind, I believe the search goes on for truth and the freedom, and a search for freedom from the bondage of ignorance. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 actually tells us that the characteristic of unsaved men is to suppress the truth. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. There's a a desire within an unsaved individual to suppress it, to reject it, as we've just read in our text. Walk onto the campus of a secular institution and ask about creation in six literal days. Ask some questions about God in the classroom of a secular school. Talk about Jesus Christ as the truth in a secular school, and you'll find there's uh, oppression. They'll try to stamp it out. Talk about Jesus' death. Talk about his burial. Talk about his resurrection. Talk about sin and judgment. Talk about the Bible. Try to take your Bible. Or just talk about the uh, righteousness and heaven, and it will not be welcome because it is the nature of fallen man to resist and even suppress the truth. Same as the Jews in our text in chapter 8. 
there's a wonderful blessing of believing upon Jesus Christ and being a genuine disciple, and that is that you will know the truth. And that's what he says in verse 32. If you'll continue in my word and be my disciple, if you'll truly believe upon me, you will know the truth. It's not a hard thing to say, I know the truth, or I know what I believe. Anybody can do that. Most people consider their belief system to be true. That's not hard. But the blessing of continuing in my word, Jesus says, is that you will actually know the truth. That's not a small thing. In our world today, millions upon millions of people walk in darkness and they do not know the truth. Where did I come from? Why do I exist? What is this life for? It's just so temporary. Sickness, you live, you play, you work. Your health declines. Tragedy strikes. We die. That's it. Jesus says there's more to life than that. And if you will continue in my word, if you will receive me, is what he's saying, you will know Don't reject the truth. Don't reject the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In John 17 and verse 17, he said, Thy word is truth. And so the first blessing of continuing, of being a genuine believer in Christ, of being a disciple of Christ, is that you will know the truth. And then in the latter part of verse 32, he says, He will make you free. You know, the gospel truth will actually give us spiritual freedom. Freedom from sin's slavery. Freedom from sin's total power. And so many of us in this room have been freed and delivered from sin's power. And we can remember a time in our life where we were just the slave of sin. We did whatever it was. That's, we lived how we lived, and we lived with the sin of our lives and the consequences of sin in our lives and the shame of sin in our lives and the regret of sin in our lives. That's who we used to be. And Jesus is looking at these people who would later in just a few minutes take up stones to stone him. And he looks at them and he says, if you will continue in my word, you'll be my disciples indeed, genuine disciples. If you'll, if you'll abide in my word, if you'll, if you'll receive my word, you'll be my genuine disciples and you'll know the truth, you'll know what it is, and you'll be free. You know, in this life, it really is the beginning of that freedom. This old sinful flesh, someday is going to be put off. And there will be no more sin. Victory. In my mind, I'm reminded of the pictures I've seen of World War II when the Allied armies were going in to those camps and liberating the prisoners or liberating a city. And they went from bondage to freedom. Maybe you're here this morning and you're in bondage. And you know you're in bondage. These people would not receive Jesus' words. They hated him. They heard the truth and their hatred deepened. Do not be like them. And yet there are so many people in this room You've heard the truth, and you've received the truth, and you've been liberated. You know the truth. You don't always walk in it, but you know it, 
and you're free. You're no longer in bondage to that sin. You and I have been liberated to live a life to the glory and praise of the Lord Jesus Christ and to God Almighty. You know what? Let's do that. Let's do that. I can't help but being reminded of John 1, where he came unto his own, and his own received him not. And so I speak to you this morning, some of you may be as unsaved, and I say, receive him. Ask God to save you from your sin, and be saved. Maybe you have some loved ones who have done that, and you saw a change in their lives. You've seen it. Believe. Jesus Christ. He is the way truth, and the life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around this morning, how many of you would say with a lifted hand, Pastor Ferguson, you can rejoice with me because there has been a day in my life, there was a time in my life when I put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ. I didn't understand all the Bible, but I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that Jesus was God's son, that he died for me, and that he rose again. If I would believe upon him, he would save me from my sin. Pastor Ferguson, I know that I'm a child of God. I know that I'm saved. There's no doubt in my mind. If that's you, would you raise your hand good and high that I can see it this morning? Many, many hands in this room. Thank you. You may put them down. How many of you would say with uplifted hand, Pastor Ferguson, I couldn't raise my hand because I've never believed. I'm like these people that Jesus spoke with. I've heard his messages. I've heard truth spoken to me, and my heart has been so hard. Pastor Ferguson, I don't want to continue in that way anymore. I want to know the truth. I want freedom from sin's bondage and slavery. I want to be saved. Pastor Ferguson, would you pray for me because I believe Jesus Christ can save me. I need his salvation. If that's you with head bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around in this room, is there anyone here this morning who would say, Pastor Ferguson, would you pray for me? I need to be saved. See that hand in the back? Is there anyone else in this room? This one would say, Pastor Ferguson, would you pray for me? need to be saved. I want to be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyone like that in this room? I'm going to speak to believers for just a moment. How many of you would say that your life is characterized by being a genuine disciple of Jesus? Continuing in his word. It's a battle. That's the characteristic. Anyone here would say, Pastor Ferguson, God spoke to me this morning. And though I've wavered along the way and stumbled at times in my life, I want to be a genuine learner of Jesus Christ. I want to continue in his word. If that's you, would you ask me to pray for you by raising your hand that I might pray for you and with you that that would be the case in our lives. Several hands in this room. Many hands. Thank you. You may put them down.
Let's all stand to our feet. I see that hand. Let's all stand to our feet, heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to pray for those who have asked me to, and then Pastor Tolman is going to lead us in the hymn.